lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. We're down a man. No totters in a day. We gave him the day off so he could watch his daughter probably dominate the state track meet, I would imagine. Uh, so Todd will return tomorrow. Aaron is here as well. Good to see you, Mr. McIntyre. How are hey, you? Doing well. How? I, I, um, you know what? I was going to bring something up on the air, and then I thought, you know what? I should ask you before I do that. So Sure. I'm going to ask you during the break whether we can talk about that. Okay, or gotcha. Not. Okay. Yeah. Uh, see, I'm getting better. You know, years ago, I just would have said it out loud and just thought, well, hope there's no any dam- no damage for bringing that up. But nowadays, as I get older, I'm getting a tad wiser. By the way, um, I, I probably shouldn't start off this show by encouraging people to listen to another one. But there's kind of an inside baseball podcast. Uh, it's hosted by a company who's like one of the largest digital advertising firms in the country. And they had me on recently to discuss woke corporatism and taking the culture war to corporate America. And, and, and the host was somebody, I wouldn't say he was opposite of me, but clearly had a more chamber of commerce viewpoint than I do. Sure. I guess maybe it's fair. Yeah. I, I think you might be fascinated, folks. I've got it linked up on our, all of our social pages at uh, Facebook. Look for Steve Dace, at Steve Dace Show on Twitter. Uh, me, we gab parlor. Look for Steve Dace there. Uh, we've got it linked on all of our social pages uh, this morning. Uh, if you have some time um, and you li- and you want to hear me get questions for a change, I-, I think particularly somebody who doesn't necessarily sh- share the same assumptions on everything, I-, I think you might be fascinated by this conversation. And again, it's linked up on our social media pages. It's it's for it's inside baseball, but. This topic, of course, has very broad interest. And keep in mind that this is a podcast that gets gets marketed to industry professionals. So corporate, major corporate buyers and sellers in the media sphere are who listen to this. And it was a chance for me to penetrate that Overton window, frankly, mm-hmm. and, and let them hear the vantage point of the flyover country that they think they're going to just roll over and run over, and that is not how this is going to go down right. at all. And I made sure that they were aware of that. All right, so uh, I think you'll find that podcast interesting. You can also let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the program, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. couple of intriguing emails we're going to be addressing for Theology Thursday later in the program. Also, three non-political questions. So, Aaron, there's your warning to have those ready for later in the show as well. Emerald Robinson from Newsmax. uh, She'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to all of that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Things That Never Happened to Democrats. Yesterday, a vote took place in the U.S. House of Representatives to enact a 9-11-style commission to look into the events at the Capitol on January 6th. 36 Republicans joined the Democrats in backing the measure. 
Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says he opposes a quote-unquote slanted January 6th commission. The Hill reports Donald Trump is expected to resume his famous rallies this summer, possibly in June. Right on cue, the New York Attorney General's office announced this week it's adding criminal capacity into its ongoing probe of the Trump organization. Checking in on Joe Biden, who spoke to a batch of new Coast Guardsmen. You are quite, you're a really dull class. I mean, come on, man. Is the sun getting to you? Oh, you, you, you're ignorant. So how do you know so much about American history? I pieced it together mostly from sugar packets. The Daily Caller went back to D.C. yet again and talked to vaccinated people who are still wearing their masks outside. I am vaccinated um, and I am a bit skeptical of their decision. Because I feel like the coronavirus doesn't go away after the CDC says it's okay. I mean, I thought it was a little premature, the CDC guideline. It's a little concerning to see that a lot of people outside are not wearing it. I don't want to get other people like to think that it's okay not to wear their mask if they aren't vaccinated. I don't want it to make it look normal that you cannot wear your mask. I feel like people still should wear their mask. Uh, just precautious, extra cautious for my safety and health. The like it's all happening so fast. Time will tell just how protected we are with the vaccinations. Well, we're doing it because it's a professional look. Why? Because we're not protected 100% from COVID. So even if you have your vaccine, it's you can still get it. Meanwhile, in Iowa, the state legislature passed a bill that Governor Kim Reynolds has already signed, putting a permanent end to mask mandates by any government entity, including public schools. New research out of California shows the number of kids supposedly hospitalized for COVID is vastly overcounted. The research examined hospitals in California and found pediatric hospitalizations for the disease were overcounted by at least 40%. A new poll from the Trafalgar Group shows a steep divide on how Americans view the latest conflict between Israel and Hamas. The plurality of Republicans blame Hamas for the violence, while the plurality of Democrats blame Israel. 31% of those calling themselves nonpartisan blame Israel, while 28% of that same group blames Hamas. If you live in the tri-state area, you might be seeing this on your local PBS station soon. The hips on the drag queen go swish, 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 swish. That's a drag queen calling himself Little Miss Hot Mess on a virtual audience of children on an episode of Let's Learn, a television program produced by PBS and the New York City Department of Education. Speaking of New York, Nicole Hannah-Jones, founder of the New York Times 1619 Project, a race-baiting retelling of the history of America, has lost her tenure at the University of North Carolina. This comes after school officials raised criticisms about Hannah Jones's work. The 1619 Project has been found to have multiple errors in the category of verifiable fact. Other than that, it's great. Checking in on the military, the Pentagon is reportedly preparing a program to constantly screen military service members' social media accounts for quote-unquote extremism. That's according to a report by The Intercept. And finally, the summer blockbuster you don't want to miss. Three governors once revered by the public. Hey, we're governors. Show us some respect. My book deal just got revoked. <sighs> Everything's opening up. They're not even asking for permission anymore. They used to call me daddy. Without this virus, we're nothing. Where am I supposed to put these old people? Madison Square Garden? Until one idea changed everything. Hey, you guys ever think about getting the gang back together for one last lockdown? That's crazy talk. It's over. Is it crazy? Canada's doing it. But everyone's getting vaccinated. It's over. Their critics said it couldn't be done. 
It'll be like old times. You get on TV, scare them a bit, present ourselves as the saviors. You don't think I love the daily press conferences? I love giving the daily press conferences, but it's over. You know, Cuomo, I'm starting to wonder if you even want to be a god. Screw you, Newsom! You're out of order! But it ain't over till the fat lady's on a ventilator. Hey, Newsom, we're in. Don't make me regret this. Gavin Newsom, Andrew Cuomo, and Ralph Northam. One last lockdown. Stay at home is trending again. Coming this summer. And that's what happened while we were away. Was Northam white in that trailer? You know, I don't see color, Steve. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is that racist now? To- yes. Yeah, that's racist. Oh, that, that guy. I know you're a fan, but and you should be because he's pretty much always funny. Uh, Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Patriot Wine. We're down in Argentina. Uh, they've got some vineyards down there that to make this really dark red wine from Malbec grapes grown at 9,000 feet. These uh, grapes and have been lab tested. Uh, they contain, this wine does, up to 10 times the level of resveratrol. It's a nutrient that, inc- that improves longevity and heart health. It's powerful stuff. Shows up again and again in study after study. Uh, and um, Um, And also, uh, the wines come with 90% less sugar, fewer chemicals, fewer additives. But here's the thing that I think matters the most. That stuff's all great and important, right? But if it tastes like sewer water, it doesn't make a difference, right? Okay? These wines are great. Uh, We've all drank our share. Highly recommend Notes of blackberry, leather, cherry, and smoke. Great for the grilling season. Red wine goes great if you love steak and barbecue. Goes great with the red meat. All right, so if you want to give it a shot right now, Patriot Wine 2021 is where you want to go. Don't need a promo code. Just go to the website, patriotwine2021.com. Get 50% off their best Malbecs, but also 50% off of shipping as well. This is about the best deal you're going to find anywhere for high-brow imported foreign wine. 50% off their best and 50% off the shipping, too. Makes for a great gift at PatriotWine2021.com. That's PatriotWine2021.com. Coming up later today in our overtime here at Blaze TV, uh, we're going to be discussing why are the Democrats going forward with this January 6th narrative, even as it falls apart? We'll be doing that in the overtime today for Blaze TV subscribers. And if you're a Blaze TV subscriber, thank you. We will be recording that for you right after today's program. It'll get posted later today at blazetv.com slash dace. That's where you will be able to watch it on demand after it's uploaded later today at blazetv.com slash dace. If you're not yet, though, a Blaze TV subscriber, great opportunity to become one by also going to blazetv.com slash dace. Uh, subscribe there and you'll get a discounted subscription so you don't miss that over time and all the other uh, exclusive content we do each broadcast day here at Blaze TV. blazetv.com slash dace. All right, let's Let's get to what is in the montage. Um, Everybody involved. I mean, everybody. Everybody. You pushed a button and allowed it to go on the air. Everybody. Management down to some low-level production assistant. You placed it in in the programming block. Like you wrote it up without an objection. That's your job. Everybody. Everybody in the entire chain of the tri-state PBS network, all of them should be arrested right now and imprisoned 
Everybody. Every single one. All of them. Arrested now. Do we no longer have the crime of contributing to the delinquency of a minor? Or does that crime not exist any longer? Uh, all of them. Everybody involved. Everyone. Everyone involved in handcuffs behind bars, awaiting an arraignment. Everyone. Every single one. I understand. Um, I understand the vigor with which you're bringing about this. What if their defense? What if their defense, though, is um, sorry? This is the blessing of liberty. Then throw them in a hole, and um, throw away the hole. Just bypass habeas corpus jurisprudence arraignments. Um, you're just you're not worthy of civil society. Uh, he gone. That that's what the answer ought okay. to be. Sounds Some good. things we just don't pass go. We go directly to jail. We don't collect the two hundred dollars, and I'm willing to give you some form of your your constitutional due as a defendant in a criminal proceeding, unless you assert that as your defense, and then I'm just going to take it as you have forfeited that right. I'm I'm just going to receive it as such. You're all in handcuffs and you're all behind bars. But this also goes back to the rant I had about this a couple of days ago. When Republicans get back control of Congress, which they likely will, PBS fully defunded. Now, Biden's never signing that. Doesn't matter. Do it anyway. And then the next time your guy gets in there, um, do it for real. The whole thing. You're all defunded. You're out. We're not doing that anymore. Not funding any of that. Anybody, anybody that even watches PBS, we're defunding you. Everything. Doesn't matter. Well, my kids like Arthur. Well, that's Rainbow Jihad now. You're out. Done. Well, you know, my kids like Caillou. Well, you're raising maybe more on idiots. We're not funding that. You're out. Done. Done. It. Gone. Just everybody's gone. Defund everything. Punish and bring pain to everyone that uses any form of coercive power of government to promote this level of cultural rot gut. You want to find some red light district somewhere in the free market? At some point, the natural law just applies to you too. You guys can rot gut each other all the way to the bowels of hell. That's a you problem. But we're not subsidizing any of this crap anymore. Period. End of sentence. Gone. Everybody's fired. Everybody's defunded. And the forecast for tomorrow is pain. That is what will be in. That's what this is going to take, folks. Anything short of that, really, is whistling past the graveyard here. Well, you know, um, we built a higher wall outside of the Visigoths. We'll just find other tools to scale that wall. No, you need to make the Visigoths understand when the barbarians show up at the gate, you need to inflict an amount of pain against them that they're like, dude, we're not... We're not going after those folks ever again. It's just, it's the cost of it is too high. Anything short of that. And it's really just a waste of our time. That's what it's going to take. Aaron, you have any thoughts? I, I think your, I think your general sentiment here, you're kind of parsing words a little bit. Um, but you should, you should make those who wish to undo 
and to destroy and to desecrate every single stained glass twi- glass window. Not even the stained glass windows, but, you know, just Americana, you know, the good, the true, the beautiful. Mm-hmm. You're, you're saying that we should make those who seek to destroy those things hurt. Hurt. Is that yes. what you're saying? Okay. Excruciating pain. Yes. From a politico, political socioeconomic perspective. Yes. Yeah. Because yes. right now um, they're not feeling pain and they need to feel pain. Uh, like not just disincentivizing, but affirmatively acting. Yes. Okay. To okay. know that this is bad. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's time to take the belt off and dole out some political, political socioeconomic corporal punishment. Anything short of that is just a waste of time. I mean, look how they roll. Trump puts his thumb on the scale on the Elise Stefanik, which is still a terrible decision, but he puts his thumb on the scale for Elise Stefanik, announces he's going out on the road on rallies. New York State Attorney General says, oh, by the way, point of order here. Mm-hmm. We're not just going, we, we, we're not really just looking at you in a civil sense, but we're looking at your organization now criminally yeah. as well. That's how they roll. That, that, the point of that was to get um, somebody in the family to bat their eyebrows and say, but daddy, or but Donald, okay? Um, and and say, dude, come on, man. We're not doing this as a family again. Not so soon, all right? We got to make some money back, all right? We can't afford millions and millions of dollars again in legal proceedings and criminal attorneys. You know, let, let one of the sons run or somebody else run 10 years or something from now, but... Pack it in and uh, let's make some money and let's not be brazen. That's that's the point of it. The point of that is leverage, power to show you, to show Donald Trump that you will experience a level of pain if you fully get back into this. Is are you count the cost and ask yourself, are you willing to pay it? And not just you. Is everybody whose last name is Trump, everybody who's tied to your empire, which was dramatically diminished because of your political action. And activism, but then and and now you can't really rebuild it to the extent that it, where it was before because a lot of these corporate entities view you now as orange man bad, right? So, given your diminished capacity as a tycoon, do you really want to have for one last run before you hit the uh, octogenarian age? Do you really want to have Don Jr. and Eric and Melania and Baron? Um, do you really want to have? you know, uh, Jared Kushner at all, do you want them to pay the price for the fact that you're bored at Mar-a-Lago? That's what that was. That yeah. That's the that's the real yeah. message the New York Attorney General was sending to Donald Trump. Yeah. It should be a lesson to all of us at every single level, not just the federal level, but to see and, and to witness what's happened over the last couple of weeks, the barrage of bad news from um, from from all corners, it seems like, of the globe, the Israel-Hamas conflict, the gas lines, the terrible unemployment numbers, the inflation on the move, the backtracking on the mask <laughs> mandates by by the part or on the part of the CDC. It should be a lesson that amidst all of that, what have we also seen as well? You saw the flex that the New York AG just put out there. You saw the, lead, the, the leading prosecutor of the United States, Merrick Garland, tell us that white supremacists, and I'm paraphrasing, but he used the word those of the white race, uh, defending those of the white race, what, what have you. White supremacists are the biggest domestic terrorist plot. We'll be talking about this in the overtime, so I don't want to get into it too much now. 36 Republicans joining the Democrats on this sham and, and <clears throat> did you right, uh, slanted January 6th commission thing 
those those are what Democrats do when they're in, pl- in power. They flex. They flex the, mm-hmm. at the very least. They flex. They acquire power to use it. And sometimes then they punch mm-hmm. as well. So amidst all of these uh, calamities, if you want to call them that, they're still flexing. They're still punching. Hey, Mr. Uh, National Guardsman from Timbuktu, Iowa. Yeah, we're going to do a background check on you when yeah. you go to uh, go to uh, serve security against you ever the tweet hashtag stop the steal? in Washington D.C. For, yeah. for inauguration day. Oh, and by the way, we're going to continue. We're going to continue to monitor your social media feeds for extremism. That's how they roll. That's how they do. The way we do, as I said on Friday, is when we have that power, it's kind of hurtful. Uh, we play bagpipes. We get lots of nice hits on Fox News, uh, but then we do uh, uh, ultimately nothing. Steve, do you think it's outside of the closed-hand issues like the issue of the right to life? Do you think it is appropriate then for maybe the number two issue or the number two question any of us ask when vetting a candidate is, are you going to use your power yes. to punish yes. those who seek to destroy my yes. way of life? Yes. We're in a cold, flat-out cold civil war right now on a cultural level. And if you're not prepared to be a wartime president, then I just don't have time for you. Yep. Or a wartime congressman or a wartime senator, then we just don't have time for that. Um, Democrats lose elections, typically, because they overreach with their power, which is likely what's going to happen next year. Republicans typically lose elections because they underreach with it. They didn't go full bore into repealing Obamacare, but took on all the political damage of as if they were going to do so anyway. Which side would you rather be? The side where people say, all right, that, that's, that's too high a body count, man. We can't sustain that. Or the side where like, my goodness, how did you ever procreate? I mean, if I'm going to lose, dude, I want it to be because the bodies hit the floor. Okay, that's how I roll. If I'm going down, it's because the bodies hit the floor and people just said, all right, man, enough. Okay. But typically what happens is Democrats lose elections because of their own overreach. They go too far in wielding the power that was given to them. Republicans lose elections because they don't go far enough in wielding the power that was given to them. Which side would you rather be? Since, we, since you brought up who voted for this, this January 6th commission, there is... One name in particular on that list I want to address, Marionette Miller-Meeks. It's from my home part of Iowa. Yes. So I got a lot of feedback in December and January. I don't believe our show even addressed this or talked about it once. Nope. Marionette Miller-Meeks is the seat that Democrats just flat out tried to steal after the election. Just flat out tried to steal it. And... We never even addressed that on this show. Not that I can think of. I did get a lot of communication in my inbox on social media. Why aren't you talking about this? I mean, this is in your own backyard. I mean, I certainly could have parlayed that probably into some media appearances, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a big story for a while. It was going on in our own backyard. Nobody knows what's going on in our own backyard in the media better than we do. And yet we never brought it up. Why? Because frankly, I was very torn. They were clearly on the other side attempting to steal this election from her. Here's the problem. For the most part, Marionette Miller-Meeks is on the other side. I've known the woman for almost 15 years. 
I think this is her this was like her fifth or sixth run for Congress. And she finally won. That's a district that Republicans don't typically win. They kept essentially just letting her run over and over and over again because she was such an establishment lackey. Um, nice woman just believes nothing. Just believes nothing. No, no core convictions on any level whatsoever. Now, I know. I've, I've, I've known her for almost 15 years. I've interviewed her countless times. I've vetted her one-on-one on a worldview perspective at length. There's no there there. There's nothing there. So I was torn. We discussed this off the air on our show. We just never talked about it on the air. Because the principle of what was going on here was flat out an attempt to steal an election. Yeah, they were trying to turn Davenport, yes. Iowa into Little Detroit. Yeah, that's not, that's, not, that's not dispute. I'm, I'm not disputing whatsoever Democrats tried to steal this seat openly. But I was torn. Do I expend any energy whatsoever? Be- because I understand the principles at stake, but there's another principle at stake here too. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. We always reap what we sow. I found it heavily, isn't it ironic, don't you think? Like rain on your wedding day or a free ride when you've already paid. Here is someone who has tried to make a political career out of knifing people like us with the letter R after her name. And she finally gets elected by the slimmest of margins. And then the very system that she will throw us under the bus to serve tried to serve her, right? Mm-hmm. And so we were, well, I was, I was very torn about how to address this because I kind of found this to be some straight up schadenfreude, bro. Like this was, this was like cosmic to have this happen to her. 435 races and that's the one they try to steal. Okay. So we didn't say anything. So since I couldn't make up my mind, what was the best, most principled position to take? Upholding the whole notion of election integrity. Besides, we had like another thing going on where we could have an argument about election integrity during that time, oh, right? Yeah. yeah, slightly larger election. Yeah, and a, yeah. My, that was had much more at stake. So, therefore, I'm not wasting. She ain't worth the salt in my in, in my tears, man. I'm not wasting an ounce, a scintilla of energy, on doing anything to help that woman whatsoever. Because if she gets elected, I knew she would do, she would do feces. Like what she did yesterday when she was one of the 35 Republicans to vote for essentially impeachment 3.0. Setting aside accomplishments, which can be viewed this way or that, of Donald Trump, who has done more to serve conservatives by means of really revealing who people are? Do you think it's Marionette Miller Meeks or do you think it's Donald Trump? Oh, it's Donald Trump. So, yeah. If you come at, well, you could say the same thing as about Donald Trump. Well, you know, you might disagree. I, I think I think Donald Trump kind of deserved the, uh, the the coverage. And that election deserved a, a little bit more coverage than, than Marinette Miller makes. Because she is a dime a dozen. I'm sorry to say it. Yep. She's a dime a dozen. And why, why expend any breath for somebody like her? I mean, it, it took her five minutes, man. It took her five minutes to knife you. Five minutes. Which I will admit... Is longer than I thought it was going to take. I mean, I thought it would just like happen instantaneously. So I give her credit for some level of restraint. <laughs> um, the the numbers of exaggerated COVID uh, pediatric uh, COVID hospital admissions. Let me reiterate this one more time. 
give them nothing. They're trying to get out of this and extract something as a permanent marker that they can then base their next assault, spirit of the age assault against us, and it's the children. Your children are not are not vulnerable nor vectors to this virus. All the data indicates this. Do not accept, okay, fine, the schools are open. Well, my kid will wear the bacteria reingester uh, all day. No, 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 no. Your state should be doing what mine just did. Hey, it's great we've got Republican governors getting rid of mask mandates, but we want that codified at the legislative level. So should there arise a pharaoh that knows not Joseph, there is a law on the books. You aren't doing this. You're going to have to pass a new law. No is the answer. And no is the answer. Give them nothing. Unconditional surrender is the only term. Until you receive unconditional surrender, continue squeezing your boot to their throat, especially when our children are at stake. No, you cannot mask our children with any more useless Chinese face diapers where they're just going to re-inhale their bacteria all day. No will be the answer to that. No, flatly no. No, you may not experiment on our children with your non-FDA-approved substances. No, we're not doing that either. If the teachers are vaccinated, they've got nothing to worry about with the students unless you want to admit to us that your vaccines are a crock. So no, you will not choke our children out. You will not experiment on them. Take no answer other than fine. Nothing less than that. Zero. Zero conditions. Unconditional surrender. So when I get up in the morning and check my Twitter feed to get updated on what's going on in the world, and I see someone tweets out, um, rebuke the heretics, I'm like, okay. That is somebody we have got to get on this show. They, they belong on this show. Emerald Robinson is the White House correspondent for Newsmax. She joins us here today on Blaze TV. Emerald, good to see you again. How are you? Good to see you, Steve. Thanks for having me back on. You bet. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's several topics I wanted to address with you, but two in particular that you have been going in depth on lately that I want to, to kind of use you as a conduit to help us inform our own audience. Let's start with what's going on in Maricopa County, Arizona right now. So that's the question. What's going on? Well, look, there is a group uh, commissioned by the Arizona State Senate to complete an audit. Now they're having a really, really, really hard time because there are many entities coming against them to try to stop the audit. On the federal level, the DOJ has inserted itself. Also, uh, big nonprofits quote unquote, uh, who have pressured the DOJ, like the Brennan Center, uh, very left-leaning, very progressive. You have Perkins Coie, sounds familiar, right? Because they were involved with the Steele dossier, Mark Elias. They've gotten uh, involved in uh, Maricopa County to try to stop this audit, as well as you just have the press uh, trying to run interference as well. I talk to average Americans who may not even really know or be that informed about it, and they hear about it, and they even question, well, if it if it's 
you know, not going to matter if there's no problem, why stop it? Why mm -hmm. not let it go forward, see what they find and then counter it? And I thought it, I watched both the Maricopa County official, the supervisors, uh, board of supervisors meeting on Monday where they use very incendiary language, insulting. Um, it was much more fiery than the Tuesday meeting of the Arizona Senate where they had the auditors there to question. They'd invited the Maricopa County officials to come. They did not in order to discuss what Mary, uh, the Arizona Senate was saying they found so far and the information that they're not getting. They didn't show up. And there were some very telling uh, responses from Maricopa County that just didn't line up that was brought forward in Arizona Senate meeting that let's say you're just an objective person. It sounds like the Arizona Senate has the much better argument with the much stronger facts. Like just let's take, for instance, the chain of custody issue. Uh, the auditors had asked the county officials for the chain of custody of the ballots. We know what chain of custody is. I mean, a lot of people do. Average American basically knows what chain of custody is for the ballots, and it's very important, and it's part of the law, right? They wanted the chain of custody from election to April 21st when they dropped them off to the auditors, the ballots, the, the equipment, everything that they you know, subpoenaed, which they didn't get everything that they asked for, but what they did. Um, when they sent a letter saying, we don't have this, can you provide it to us? The county officials actually, they use words like you're an amateur, you clearly don't know what you're doing and you don't know what it is. It suggested that uh, Ken Bennett, who's a former secretary of state, signed off on the chain of custody documents. Well, that was just for the April 21st and 22nd. So they were gaslighting people who might not understand that. Mm. And so, you know, the auditor said that's, you know, we still didn't get our answer. That's not what we were asking for. And, you know, the county officials know that. They know what chain of custody is. They know what the auditors were asking for. Who or what triggered this audit or this audit? Well, look, we saw what happened on election night in Arizona, um, how it came down to Maricopa County. There was uh, abnormalities. There's anomalies in this election, specifically with Arizona. Remember how early Fox called it? And it had us all questioning, why is Fox calling this so early when such little percentage of the vote is in? Yeah, I kind of lost my mind, actually, on election night here on Blaze TV when they did that, actually. But yes. And that's what really started drawing attention to Arizona. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even the anomalies. We hadn't seen those yet. It was that Fox called it. And people were like, what the heck is going on in Arizona? Florida was by far more in and they refused to call it, remember? Mm -hmm. Which was going largely for Trump. And then there was all these anom uh, anomalies and questions. And I have to say to her credit, Kelly Ward, who is the GOP chairwoman, has not uh, just let it die. She has fought very hard for this, as has Karen Fan, the president of the Arizona Senate. Uh, Maricopa County had far more turnout than they normally would, I think 70,000 more voters. Um, Arizona has only elected two Democrat presidents in, you know, what, 70 years? Decades, decades. And a lot of things just didn't add up. Um, and they're putting out a little bit of what they found, just like in, in, the, the disparity in the boxes of ballots and then the pink slips don't match. The county officials said, well, that's because of duplicate ball ballots. So let's say you have a damaged ballot and the tabulator can't read the damaged ballot. There's a something on it, you know, it's kind of wadded or whatever. It looks like the markings aren't clear. They're supposed to create a duplicate ballot that as closely matches that as they can discern. And then you had to put the number 
in the bottom of the duplicate ballot that matches the original. Well, when the county said that's the issue with the disparity in the count, they couldn't find corresponding originals with duplicates. So they're still asking the county for mm. those. Clearly, um, with the voting equipment, they also want to check it. And because there's been a lot of questions about it. And there were, let's, let's be, so you can't talk about it, right? No, one, no one's allowed to talk about the voting equipment. But these questions were raised in 2018, 2019. I have article after article from left-leaning outlets raising concerns about equipment. So they want to check it. But the problem is county officials don't have the username and passwords to go in and audit it. So the county can't even complete really their own audit of their own equipment. You're, this, so so a private entity is who has that all that information. It's proprietary. A public vote right. is proprietary to a specific private entity. This and th they say they say it, it's you know could be detrimental to their business model or to their trade secrets. I got to tell over, you, even temporarily for an audit. Emerald, I've, I've been toying with this the last few days on the show. I, I am contemplating that I am better off. I, I just never would have envisioned myself saying anything like this even a year or two ago. But I am contemplating that I am just at this point better off going up against big government than big business. At this point, that, I, that, that frankly, at this point, big government might be more accountable to people like me. Than, than, big, than big business. I just never would have contemplated I might be better off fighting things out in the public sector over the private sector. But again, I hear a story like this and I hear corporations say, well, we don't have to give you our proprietary information so that you can create, you can finish your your, your own chain of events uh, or chain of Checks evidence. And I, I, I mean, I don't know what, if, if a government official did that, we, people with platforms like you and I, we single that person out. We go get people who agree politically with us, right? We exert leverage and pressure on that mm -hmm. person, right? And then you know, if you, if you do that enough and then the CDC says the political science has evolved enough to off your mask when when a corporation does that do you know what, what is my what's, what's my recompense where, where do i tell my audience what do i tell them to do what, what, where, where do we go it, it should be the government officials putting pressure on them but we're not really seeing that um also these things get tied up in the courts so different entities can leverage lawsuits to kick the can down the road or to you know block uh, block revealing anything. And that's sort of what corporations have to hide behind is, you know, our, our litigation system. And then also they hide behind what well, we're seeing it with council culture, right? Mm -hmm. They say, well, this is private business, so they can cater to who they want to cater to. They can fire who they want to fire, um, work with who they want to work with, pull out of the state of Georgia if they want to. Um, but we've come to a point that it's actually corporations who are instituting communism, right? And if it comes down to like vaccine passports, it's going to be the private sector that ends up mandating it. And that's why I don't think you see the White House making a big stink over or pushing for it um, because they know they don't have to. And these private companies have become so left leaning and woke. I think a lot of their upper echelons are probably ideologically in line with that, but also they're afraid of the media, which is so left-leaning hmm. and put so much, they know that they're going to face uh, repercussions in the media, bad PR, 
if they don't go in line with the ideology that the mainstream corporate press adheres to 90% of them, 95. Is there, what's the next benchmark in this Arizona audit our audience ought to be looking for? Yeah, so this week they're on a hiatus. Remember, that was already planned when they knew it was going to go longer than they had originally intended, which was May 14th. So all the ballots and all the equipment has been stored in a warehouse while the Coliseum in Phoenix that they've been holding the, the count is, uh, holding the count has graduations and events like that for the week. And then they'll start back. They say their plan is to complete it by June 30th. But clearly, Steve, there are very important aspects of this that are missing for them. The routers, they need to see the routers. If you really are doing a true forensic audit, you would have to have that. And while we hear time and time again from uh, media and government officials, even on the Republican side that they have done audits, whether it's Georgia to Arizona, they've done recounts and audits. There has been no true real mm -hmm. forensic audit where you look at everything everything there's just been kind of recounts and doing it running a sample ballot a sample of like a hundred it is a, it you is know? amazing that a bunch of states feel compelled to suddenly uh perform reform election and absentee ballot reforms from an election that apparently was just totally on the up and up and there was nothing Fine. to see here i mean it's just it's amazing especially in georgia where those officials the top election officials said there was nothing wrong this right? was a totally the most secure election ever although they didn't have as many ballots thrown out as you would normally have, like just a fraction of them that you would normally throw out, you know, for signature matching and things like that. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're changing, Brian Kemp is behind uh, reform and changing things. But I will tell you, there's more happening in Georgia too. Um, they've just kind of kept it under wraps because they see how the media uh, has acted as the opposition party in Arizona trying to shut down the count or shut down the audit. There are court cases that are ongoing by just average citizens that are so far has been making headway. And I think in time, um, once they get to a good place, it, you know, more people will get to see the, what's going on in the courts down there. And it's real. It's it's constructive and it's productive in looking at election integrity. It's not a big drama. It's very constructive. I got about three minutes here. The Wuhan lab, Anthony Fauci, uh, the virus, connect some dots for us. I know you have been doing a lot of work on this recently. So connect a few dots for us with our audience. Yeah, a year ago, over a year ago, when I brought that question up in a coronavirus briefing about NIH, Dr. Fauci tied to the Wuhan lab of virology, which, you know, is a level four biotech lab in Wuhan where the virus started, but everybody said, no, it didn't come from there. It occurred in nature. When I asked about that a year ago, I was painted as a conspiracy theorist and CBS 60 Minutes tried to smear me. A lot of people, but look, it was very clear from the beginning uh, what was going on, especially when Dr. Fauci was so adamant to turn the subject from that. The NIH gives grants. Dr. Fauci has been supportive of gain of function, uh, which is you know speeding up the evolution of simply man manipulating viruses by their spike protein. He's been a supporter of that. Even President Obama was against it, did not want that done in the United States. The NIH, under Fauci, uh, in his department, gave funds to a third party called Echo Health Alliance. Mm -hmm. That group then, in turn, gave money to the Wuhan lab of virology in which it was used in gain-of-function experiments. Now, the head of Echo Health Alliance, he, Dr. Fauci, says that that money was not given for gain-of-function, but 
you hear in uh, September 2019, the head of Echo Health and Alliance sat down for a podcast where he described what his group was doing in these labs and what they were funding. And it was manipulating the viruses by their spike proteins. Now, the NIH put out a statement, I think it was yesterday. And you, if you look at the wordage, they're very carefully to word that they didn't approve gain of function, but they gave that money to a group who used it for that? Mm-hmm. They don't say that, but it's that's the, how it's they're the Planned Parenthood it. shell game. We we're not we're not it violating is. the Hyde Amendment that's by it. funding abortions. We're just giving the number one baby killing group that's a it. half a billion a year. That that that's what it is, right? It's a shell game. That's it. It's a shell game. Um, also, they knew there were concerns about that lab. The lab, the Wuhan lab people were uh, trained by the Galveston lab that is down in Texas, and I've had several whistleblowers early in the pandemic call me. And voice concern saying you, this lab has to be looked at because not only is biotech labs not really safe, because how can you truly see if a, if a, a virus escapes the lab? It's not like nuclear waste, you mm-hmm. know, nuclear activity. Um, you can't see it. So, but also China just wasn't adhering to the standards anyway, no. and they knew that. They sent groups over there. They no, have their own bioweapons program. The yeah, you might they not want to bioweapons program yeah. there. Yeah, I don't know you want to go ahead and do gain-of-function research at all, but not sure you want to partner in it with a country that has its own bioweapons program. Just going to throw that out there. Emerald, you do great work. You're one of my favorite Twitter followers. Thank you very much for joining us today on Blaze TV. All right, take care. Thanks, Steve, and congrats on the book. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's Emerald Robinson, White House correspondent for Newsmax. Aaron, your thoughts? Yeah, going back to the Arizona uh, audit, you know, I've... It's been hard to know really where to go for 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 the latest in in what's happening down there. I'm I'm kind of a divine just wait until wait until it's over and and see what happens because there's not a whole lot that you or I really can do in the meantime to to um, help or uh, affect that in any way. But the very um, the very fact that they're sending Perkins Coy, I believe is how you uh, you talk about it. The I believe they were the ones involved with the Steele dossier. Mm-hmm. Perkins Coy, an army of lawyers or a small squadron of lawyers, if you want to say. And then you combine that with the fact you are not in any public avenue. You are not allowed to question the results of the 2020 election. You know, what's the old saying? If you ever want to... Um, uh, figure out what you're uh, not allowed. Well, talk about what you're not allowed to talk about. Yeah. That's what the fascists don't want. And what uh, Emerald was uh, describing there is fascism. You talk about the company that uh, 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 is not allowing some of the more forensic auditing. That's that's fascism in action right there. That a private, co- a private company is allowed to interfere. That's what they're doing. They're, they're interfering with the audit of that le- election that was legally appointed that's what they're doing they're allowing uh, they're allowing a private company to interfere with Arizonans rights and really by extension to some degree the rest of our rights as well all right back with our two live and on demand here on blaze tv radio podcast steve dace here Aaron McIntyre, we're down to man, Todd Erzin has the day off. 
We gave it to him so we could go watch his daughter dominate the state track meet, we're guessing. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Look for me, Steve Dace, on MeWe, Parlor, and Gab as well. Look for clips of the program at YouTube.com slash Steve Dace or uh, rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. And if you're a podcast listener, we're looking for you to please hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review if you haven't done those two things yet. Please do so. Thanks to the thousands upon thousands of you that have already done those things and are doing your part, therefore, in helping the show to grow. Um, we'll get to Theology Thursday here in just a moment. Before I do that, though, I want to tell you about Freedom Project Academy. If you're growing increasingly frustrated... Uh, with what's going on with schools in your area. Maybe you don't have a governor and a legislature like we do uh, here in Iowa that this morning uh, passed a law, codified into law, you won't be masking children in Iowa ever again. Not doing that again, period. It's kind of funny too. We got a note from uh, our our son's schools, uh, our son Noah's school, Des Moines Christian, notifying us of this law. And it's, but our, our email to all the parents was like one paragraph. It was like, of course, this will not really change anything from what we were already doing at Des Moines Christian anyway. <laughs> All right. I got a kick out of that. Kind of like the a humble brag mm-hmm. in a way. You know, that's kind of your your Christian passive aggressive way yep. of uh, spiking the football. But uh, it, maybe you don't have a legislature and a governor that won't take the bacteria re-inhaling device off your kid's face. You want to do something about it? Freedom Project Academy. They have perfected live online learning for more than a decade. Before he went to Des Moines Christian, our son Noah attended this for several years. So we can speak to its effectiveness firsthand. I even know some of the people involved in founding and running this institution. So I I can personally give it a high recommendation. Built on Judeo-Christian values and a classical curriculum, it teaches children mastery of subject matter, not propaganda, how to think, not what to think. You want to get more information, and trust me, you do. Freedomforschool.com is the website to go to. That's freedomforschool.com. We had a little snafu here at the end of the hour in lining up our clock with what was going on in Dallas, and you were in the middle, Aaron, of making, I'm sure, a profound point. I want to give you the chance to do to finish it. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sure that was uh, exciting to listen to. But when we talk about fascism, which is what is taking place, you know, you're not allowed to, to go to these areas. You're not allowed to talk about these things. Uh, in the case specifically of what's going on in Arizona right now, Emerald Robinson from Newsmax talking about the company that's essentially holding up the duly uh, duly appointed uh, commission to audit that election. That's, that's an example of, of fascism. And really, the fascism that we're experiencing right now, whereas it's a blending of elites in, in big business and big government colluding in order to retain and attain power. The, the roots of that really started with the bastardization of the, of the court system in the United States. Because you talk about recourse, Steve. In a typical, typical functioning republic, uh, republic, our recourse, any one of us living uh, within the sound of our voice here in the Fruited Plains, any one of us can go to our elected representatives, whether that's on the state or federal level. Any one of us can go and petition them and say, I have this problem. Please do something to redress. Give, mm-hmm. give me some redress here. But once those elected representatives started learning, hey, the courts have spoken. Got to follow those courts. Those same, that same attitude is, well, that's a private business. They can do what they want. 
So we're left with no recourse unless we do what we've been talking about all week and we talked about at the beginning of the show. We make our elected representatives listen to us. That's really what's started to happen in Arizona. They would not let this go. I I don't know about you, Steve. It was back when this audit happened. I had not even heard anything about this. No. I hadn't heard anything about I this. I remember the day that Doug uh, Dushi, the governor there, mm-hmm. certified that election. Yep was the day that the state Senate was holding hearings mm-hmm. where people were testifying into the record of all these abnormalities. Yep. And I, cause I remember we commented on it at the time, like this guy's just like acting, this isn't going on. This isn't somebody just blogging these, this is testimony going on in a state legislature. And this governor's just certifying the election. Like none of this stuff is even being said, just complete total cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was not the system that acquiesced to this, but rather some of the people that Emerald mentioned forced the system compelled them to do this precisely so we're still left at this impasse seemingly where do we go for redress where do we go for recourse and it's the theme of our show this year the answer is us you are your own recourse at this point in time Mm. you're your own recourse i think that's what we're learning now specifically when it comes to election and you note all of the places across the country implementing election reforms to tighten up election security that's really odd because we had a completely free and fair and totally legit (laughs) election i I think that's that's maybe i'm not sure i want to give them too much credit but i think that's maybe a lot of politicians saying okay we don't want to admit what happened to 2020 or go anywhere near that but i really hope that gun doesn't get pointed towards me in the future i think Mm. that's part of what's driving this but uh when it comes to the recourse for fascism that's i mean that's you it's me that's that's everybody listening and watching this well said i'm glad i gave you the time to read to finish that point here at the top of the hour let's get to theology thursday and this week i want to i want to respond to a couple of notes along these lines we get a ton of the, theologically themed notes um those are some of my favorites um all theological viewpoints on our show are entertained uh in the inbox they just may not all be acknowledged on the air some of them are kind of they can be nuts uh, but um, but most of them uh, are worthy of conversation. One of them is, the first one I want to start with, this note, is practical. We, we've talked a lot and defined our enemy in this era, the spirit of the age that we're up against, right? How do you know? How can you tell if, if someone you care about that you think... Um, hey, you know, I think these people are, you know, similar to us. How can you tell if they are in in the grips of the spirit of the age, if they are um, either fully succumbed or succumbing to it? This note from Jeremiah in Indiana, I think, answers this question. I want to share it with you. Recently after church, my wife and I went down to Bloomington to visit with some friends. These are friends we made in school at IU. They got married last summer uh, in in the nascent time of COVID panic. Due to the virus, the wedding was cut extremely short and was held outside. The couple chose to wear masks at their outside wedding, and the groom's mother said she had not hugged her son for four months. This summer, they are performing a vow renewal ceremony. Uh, that's, that is going to be their way of recreating their wedding the way they intended it to be originally. My wife and I are in the wedding party, so naturally we were concerned about whether or not the couple was still fearful enough to enforce masks at a ceremony in July. 
Before leaving our house that morning, my wife paused and said, do you want to bring Fauci and bargain with us? No, I said, we all, we, we know all we need to know. Masks don't work and there's no science that proves they do. We enjoyed a nice lunch with our friends, godparents to our son, and were pleasantly surprised to be welcomed into their home without being told to wear a mask. We all caught up and shot the breeze while engaging in casual conversation. Eventually, the conversation was steered toward masking by my wife. She proceeded to explain how her biggest complaint with the masks was the hypocrisy displayed by those who claim its efficacy. The many stories of people offended or scared at our unmasked faces in stores flowed into the conversation with our friends at times even agreeing with the frustration about the hypocrisy. But then, Steve, the conversation took a dark turn. We began to argue about mask mandates. I told them that the CDC had quietly updated their information on the virus to say that it is spread through aerosols, airborne, and not just droplets, droplets, which renders masks useless. We can't be sure, they argued. We don't know if droplets still contain more contagion that is stopped only by masking. I dismissed their argument by informing them of how masks work in theory and explained how the virus traveling through the air wouldn't change with the sporting of face diapers. Recognizing that Hill was not the one they they could plant their flag on, they quickly retreated to the muck and mire of the, quote, better safe than sorry swamp. You know the argument that if the mask protects even a small percentage, it's worth it. This is where I pressed their retreat with data. I rattled off the Sweden-Michigan comparison. Not good enough, they said. Michigan didn't have a culture of masking to begin with, so we can't be sure if they wore the mask correctly. By the way, Sweden has the lowest mask compliance in the world. It has no culture of masking in Sweden, but I hear you. I shared with them the data on Japan. Since Japan has a culture of masking before COVID, not good enough. We don't know if Japan had a different strain. Okay, I moved on to Florida, summarizing what I could recall about the counties in Florida with Fauci and Bargain. Well, if it helped in those three counties, we should continue masking, they said. At this point, I was beginning to, so what he's talking about is we cite data from the state of Florida, from Ron DeSantis's office. They did a study late last year looking at performance of the virus in every county in Florida and compared it with counties that had mask mandates and counties that didn't. Collectively, the counties that didn't outperformed the counties that did. There were three counties in the entire state that had mask mandates that slightly overperformed the counties that did not. So this is an argumentation, what's called a fallacy, right? It's like when you argue abortion with people. You argue abortion with people and they jump right to, what about rape and incest? Okay, they go right for the the, the exception fallacy, all right? Which this represents an, a, a, a scant minority of the child killings performed every year. Overwhelmingly, they're done just strictly for birth control memes. And so when we, when we allow them to take us there, then we argue a fallacy. We're not arguing the premise of our actual argument. That's what he is saying they did here. Quote, um, the mask work because we want them to uh, is the mindset that we were up against this, up against with our friends. It was the spirit of the age. The arguments they brought to the table were all anecdotal. And the data presented to them was not good enough because it was not perfect data that controlled every possible variable. By the way, do you know how much data controls every possible variable? I'm going to give you a hint. It's a real low number. What do you think it is? Two more. I'm sorry. Um, Zero. 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 Why? 
because human beings in and of themselves are not constants. We're variables. So if you're doing data that points out human behavior, it's always, it's not going to be able to cover every possible variable because human beings are variables. We're not constants. We're variables. I question them on their reluctance to accept data and their hesitancy to let go of their falsehood based on personal testimony. I thought for sure this would convince them that they are also uh, believers. I thought for sure this would convince them because they are also believers in Christ. To my dismay, they responded with an appeal to relativism. Well, we think they work and are all about social and, and we are all about social pressuring and shaming of people who don't wear them out in public. That's a quote. It was as if Satan himself mic dropped and walked off the stage. Their words were dripping spirit of the age goop. I love that word. Don't use it enough anymore. All over the place. I realized then that this is what we are up against. This entire exchange was between four Christians. My wife and I argued that those who don't wear their masks give grace to those who are scared and desire to wear masks by not shaming them for choosing to wear them. But we did not truly understand until that conversation that in all of this COVID stand hullabaloo of grace is only applied in one direction. Brother, have I not been saying for years, every time you turn into Tolerance Boulevard, it is a one-way street. Every time you turn on to Spirit of the Age Avenue, every time, it's a one-way street. Promise you. That should terrify, Jeremiah writes, all of the believers in the audience, that there are those Christians out there who find themselves entrenched in a camp where grace, uh, where grace does not uh, be given only to them, but not to others. Here's the thing. When you refuse to respond to objective what what Jeremiah has provided us is a is an is a living breathing example of what's called epistemology. Epistemology is, is really the study of of knowledge. How do we know what we know is true? The Christian faith begins with an objective truth claim. It does not begin with a creed. It does not begin with a dogma. It does not begin even with a revelation. It really doesn't. The Christian faith begins with an objective truth claim. Did Jesus of Nazareth walk out of a tomb on the third day, once dead and now very much alive? Did that occur? Do not debate anything else. Do not debate any other claim, any other philosophical assertion that Christianity brings to the table. Do not skip ahead to any of that until you deal with that question. One of our Jewish listeners said, you know, I've often heard you talk about the differences that Christianity has on topics of salvation, for example, with Islam or paganism, but never with Judaism. And I said, why? I said, because really, it's, we don't, we don't, the, the difference, brother, is one of us believes Yeshua of Nazareth walked out of the tomb dead and now alive, thus revealing he's the Messiah. The other one doesn't. That's really the whole argument, right? If, if, if you had a different view, if you believed that Yeshua walked out of that tomb like a boss, you're going to reconsider all of the other all of the other associated claims of Christianity from that point differently, right? 
But if you don't believe that, then there's really no point to considering any of the other claims of Christianity because Christianity isn't based on those other claims. It's not based on creeds and doctrines. It's based on an assertion of fact. Did Yeshua of Nazareth roll the stone away and walk away? That's what it's about. It starts there. And it doesn't go anywhere else until that question is wrestled with. Therefore, if you're any kind of Christian, you should be comfortable in epistemological conversations because your belief system begins with this historical fact occurred, therefore. Relevance or relativeness, I should say. Um, Fallacies. That's the domain of the pagan. They live in that world. The minute we start making those kinds of arguments ourselves, we're outside of our own belief system. We're asserting another belief system. And you know a tree by its fruit. Now, here's the thing to Jeremiah and everybody else. There are objective truth claims We've presented them and discussed them and debated them on this show for the last plus year. There are objective truth claims, studies, things of that nature, that have counterclaims on the efficacy of masks from the claims that we make, right? Mm -hmm. Did they bring any of those to the table, though? No. They just regurgitated the agitprop that they had been told by the spirit of the age. They opened their mouths agape, received it all in full, and when you leaned on them a little bit with some counterinformation, they just opened their mouths again, and regurgitated back up what they had been spoon-fed. So it's not, it's, it's, not, it's not that everyone who disagrees with us is an idiot or wrong or a moron. There are legitimate claims out there that we've had to wrestle with. We've had to look at some of these studies ourselves. How do you think I know that they lack control groups? Did I just guess that? No, I had to look at it myself. Because otherwise, how do I know that what they're claiming isn't true and I'm wrong? I'm totally comfortable in, in the, and in, epistemologically, I just want to know what's true. What's that say over my shoulder right there on camera? Truth be told here. I just want to know what the truth is. Just tell me what the truth is. Even if it's bad, I'll deal with it. I just need to, but I can't live in reality and in accordance with my own belief system absent truth. I can't do that. Because my own belief system begins with, is it true? Did Jesus walk away or not. Stop. Full stop right there. And so that's the rest of my belief system operates that way. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're not really obligated along some of these lines. I mean, if you're welcome to reveal yourself as no form of a critical thinker or anything whatsoever. Some people generate massive platforms in our world going down that road. But if you are one, you are, as, as Jeremiah, you say your friends are, you are not permitted this escape hatch. You are not. And when we fall back on these just talking points, relativistic arguments, obvious fallacies, that's a sign that you've at least somewhat been infiltrated by the spirit of the age. At least somewhat. Aaron, you have any thoughts? Briefly, I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. 
um, you know, we've been talking a lot about science and science over the last year. The scientific method, simply put, I'm sure I'll get an email saying, well, it's not. Simply put, the scientific method is facts in search of a conclusion. What science is, meaning the cult of science, science as an institution, is a conclusion in search of facts that support that conclusion. <laughs> right. What you just said about epistemology and how it relates to the Christian faith, what did you, what did you just assert? A fact, a concrete fact, that a man named Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb. And then you can start looking at general revelation, the intricacies of our bodies, of the way things work in nature, of the constellations that we see in the sky. We start to look at some of the uh, Gospels and the witnesses and, and, and things of that nature. We're finding facts here, verifiable facts. And then we can draw our conclusion from that. But what the spirit of the age does, and what really any rejection of truth, any worldview built on a, upon the rejection of the truth does, is it starts with a conclusion and looks for data, looks for creeds. Just try to support that conclusion at best. Most of the time, especially in our case with spirit of the age, it's just uh, you hate grandma. It's pejoratives. It's emotionalism. But at best, they have a conclusion in, in search, of, in, in search of, of data to support it. What you're doing when you follow that and when you've allowed yourself, your mind to be uh, penetrated with the way paganism and the spirit of the age works, which I just laid out. It is a slap in the face to to uh, to your faith, especially if you're a Christian, as as those in the the email uh, pretend to be. It is a slap in the face of of your faith. Your faith is built upon fact, verifiable fact. What you believe is. And then when you forsake that for whatever, it's, it's a slap in the face to that. And it's, it's frustrating. Fr I was frustrated listening to that. Josh Clubney wrote me a, a, a really intriguing note about entrepreneurism, entrepreneurialism, and Christianity. After hearing us talk about Dave Portnoy uh, earlier this week on Pop Culture Tuesday and Barstool Sports, and whether or not he and his organization— uh, despite their at times checkered reputation, have done far more collectively on an institutional level to stand up to COVID tyranny and relieve the suffering it's caused than collectively on an institutional level the Christian church in America has the past year. And he says, and, and in response to that, I want to cut to the, sh the quick here because we're running short in this segment. Josh wondered if it's because there's a lack of entrepreneurial spirit in our ministries and particularly in our churches that are looking for creative ways to tell the greatest story ever told. I would say, Josh, in response to your question, that the answer is yes, you're right. But it's not for a lack of trying. A lot of the largest churches in America are extremely entrepreneurial in their methodology to the point of having boards of directors and not elders. I used to belong to one of those. Um, they're, they're highly creative. The problem is that too many of them 
the message they're conveying isn't the gospel. It's something else. It's some morally therapeutic pietism or mixed with some form of modern Western consumerism. And that's why, you know, um, a sh- those sheep hear that voice. They go flock to it like they do a lot of other similar messages from similar vantage points in the culture. Just this one has some Bible verses, probably out of context. What has made Barstool so effective, meaning that the reason they did this, I was listening to an interview another one of their personalities did on a radio show yesterday, because apparently the NCAA canceled a women's golf regional over the weekend for inclement weather. Uh, And these women now are not going to be able to compete to get to the national championship because the the course was not going to be playable. And so Barstool stepped in and put on a counter regional for these universities and these and these women's golf teams hmm. and put it together in just a matter of days basically for this to happen see what's happening with barstool is is their convictions drove their ingenuity portnoy's conviction as an entrepreneur that built this business from the ground up by his own bare hands basically And therefore, he has a personal appreciation for how hard it is to maintain a business that now has well over 190 employees, I think he said. That conviction led to his ingenuity, led to his entrepreneurial action. What we have tried in the Christian church is for entrepreneurial action to lead to conviction. Meaning that if I tell, if I make it funny, if if I've got a slamming quadraphonic praise team, and hey, I'm from the modern era, I love that kind of music myself, okay? But if I, if I, if my methodology is correct, you will accept my theology. I mean, when Jesus told parables, that was an, that was a, a level of entrepreneurial evangelism. He is telling people deep, deep existential truths, but in a format that they would understand. But did he use the format? to advance his belief system or was the format itself the belief system see that's the thing it's it's we can have all the entrepreneurial spirit we want if it ain't guided by the holy spirit it's a waste of everybody's time and it looks a lot like what the church growth movement has looked like in america for the last 20 30 years sound and fury signifying nothing a lot of the largest churches in america are in california the epicenter of paganstan they have done they, collectively. They have not even been a speed bump against that state's descent into the pit. So we're about to start filming the adaptation of a nefarious plot. That filming will begin later this summer. We're going to use modern technology and the like to do that, right? In the hopes of conveying a timeless story to a new generation. But it's the conviction. They they bought the the Believe Entertainment bought the rights to my book because they believed in the convictions it was trying to convey. Meaning the convictions drove the entrepreneurial ingenuity. Entrepreneurial ingenuity doesn't ingenuity doesn't drive your convictions. And I fear that if we if 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 
if, if we just come up with better and more creative and diverse ways, we're going to make the same mistake that was made with every Rick Warren and, and Rick Warren wannabe and Joel Osteen and Joel Osteen wannabe of the last 30 years. Let's start with the fact, what are our convictions? Are they right? Start there. Then, who's your intended audience? Go there next. And then look at, then look at entrepreneurial creativity. And I say this as somebody who's a believer, I don't do a Christian radio program, a Christian television show. I'm just a Christian that doesn't hide those things on the radio and television show that I do. But the, the, the way that we approach things, the topics we talk about, would it sound and look like a lot of other shows in this genre that you probably are entertained by? Yes. It's just we bring a different worldview than a lot of the others do to the table. See what I'm trying to say? The convictions are what's driving the creativity. The creativity is not a conviction in and of itself. So start first with, do we have the right convictions? Make sure you nail that down. And then make sure you've got that nailed down again. And then once you identify who your target audience is, then you can start talking about entrepreneurial creativity, but let the convictions drive that entrepreneurial spirit, not the entrepreneurial spirit driving the convictions. More in a moment. Todd's not here, but we'll make it through this live read nevertheless. You know, trying to sell your home in any economic environment can be challenging, but especially in these unprecedented times. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That was also the lamest bing of all time. I am Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Thank you. Um, But you want to make sure you get a real estate agent who comes in, takes charge of your situation and understands, though, at the same time, who's ultimately in charge of your situation. And this one is you. Where would you find such an agent? And could we throw in somebody with a verified track record of success at the exact same time? Well, by golly, yes, we can. And the name just kind of says it all. Head over to this website, realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. For example, if you're looking at my home state, our home state of Iowa right now, which didn't just ban masks in schools forever today, but uh, punched the teacher unions in the mouth at the exact same time. And you're thinking, I don't know, man, nine months out of the year, I was looking pretty good, right? We'll take you. All you do is raise my home resale value, so I'm down to clown. Let's do this thing, all right? Unless you're coming from California or New York. Yes, then Basically stay there. anywhere else. Yes, yes that's true. Then then stay there. Unless you uh, give us a blood oath that, that yeah. you will not bring those values with yeah. you. Yes. Uh, but if you, just about anywhere you want to escape to or move away from, we can help you. Uh, and often it'll be an agent maybe even from this audience. That's how this effort got started, was connecting agents of character and accomplishment with members of this audience around the country. Realestateagentsitrust.com, that's the website. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. It is time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on The Steve Day Show. 
Yes, three non-political questions because we all need a little escape from the demise and fall of Western civilization. You know, the last time Todd was out, I put together like five questions. Five questions that I had Stephen, myself, uh, answer. And today I kind of forgot that Todd was out, so it is just three questions because math is still important. As all right. You know what? If you insist, I will talk more. Okay. Sounds right. good. Right. Um, Sold. Yes. I, I can't bring them up on my phone, but I remember them. I, I have them from memory. So your boy, Matt Campbell, soon to be the next head coach of your Michigan Wolverines, reportedly, now this is a sketchy reporter we've we've uh, talked about in other forums before, a report from Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com saying that he turned down a $68.5 million eight-year contract. With Just also, say it. Without, he turned down 69 from the Lions. Just say it. He turned down $69 million. He yes. turned down a pretty nice contract from the Lions, mm-hmm. your Detroit Lions, uh, for an eight-year contract in order to stay in Ames at Iowa State University and still be the head coach of the Cyclones. So, Steve, the question for you is, what's the worst place you would live for $69 million? Um, it would have to be probably, it would still have to probably be an America, man. I, I am the ugly American. Okay. You know, so even some places that are gorgeous to live that with $69 million, you could insulate yourself from a lot of the mm-hmm. rot gut and the things you don't like, like, you know, Italy or Paris, the problem is the time change and everything, man, and when the games come on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that is a priority. I mean, I, I dude, at this time last year, I was literally researching online life in Sweden, what the cost of living is, everything else, and I was I was this close to at least half kiddingly suggesting it to the family until I found out that I was going to have to like watch, you know, certain sporting events at like. 11 p.m. at night or four o'clock in the morning. And I'm just like, how do you make that work? You know? So that's one thing with even with even 69 million. I, I can't I can't change time. So given that, um, I don't know, think of the worst hell holes in America. I'd live there for 69 million. You know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick Portland, Oregon. Oh, and, why? And, and here is why. Because I'm going to take a good amount of that $69 million, And I'm going to use it for the resources to mobilize politically against all the local and state officials. Tolerating Antifa Stan. Now attempting to be the, 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 the state taking the lead on... Uh, essentially creating a caste system with vaccine passports that I'm going to, t- I would take a sizable chunk of that $69 million and use that to make them feel pain. That's the place I would choose. Yeah. And maybe some automated sentry guns outside of your walled compound as well. That would, that would probably be uh, in the cards for you. Uh, worst place I would live for $69 million. You know, I think I think just about anywhere on the planet, um, just about anywhere on the planet, I think I could find like some hovel somewhere, uh, some place out in the wilderness to build $69 million. I mean, you could be pretty self-sustaining for a while. Um, but I just, 
China, uh, China just does not appeal to me. Not even out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, they have guys. I didn't know I, you're communist. They're communist over there. There's nowhere you can hide over there. Like here in America, here in America, you know, you could reasonably, you could reasonably escape to the Rockies somewhere. You know, if it wasn't a large group of people, or even in Alaska, definitely even more so in Alaska. But in China. Um, you couldn't pay me. So I think that the, the, uh, worst place you could pay me, um, to live is, is somewhere just across the border in like India or somewhere, but, but keep me out of there. Uh, question number two, have you heard about this, uh, controversy with Tony La Russa, the general manager, or I'm sorry, sorry, the manager, the skipper of the white house or the white Sox? Uh, this little dust up that they had with the Minnesota Twins and running up the score and the in, in, unwritten rules of baseball. Have you read about this? Have you heard and about somebody it? Somebody swung at a three zero pitch or something. Somebody th- swung at a three zero pitch uh, from a Minnesota Twins first baseman. They put a position player out on the mound because they were down by so much. They they swung at this three zero pitch and hit a home run. Larusa um, actually came to the defense of the Twins and said, "You know that's an unwritten rule of baseball. My guy I gave him the take sign he should have taken." And then the next night, uh, the Twins threw at uh, White Sox at that White Sox player. What's your take on this, Steve? I, I think it's beyond beta. In fact, I'll go there since Todd is not here. Um, it sounds like soccer, man. Yeah, it sounds real beta, like soccer. And and again, I, I haven't brought this up in a while. I used to cover soccer professionally in my sports writing life. We had a minor league soccer soccer team here in Des Moines. Uh, the menace, which we used to affectionately call the Menace, and uh, to make it sound a little more Euro. And uh, um, I covered them for several years. So I was around professional soccer all the time and professional soccer players. Some guys that went and played, what's it called? Um, the uh, the professional soccer league, is it the MS? MLS. MLS, yeah. thank you, yeah. I'm sure um, I knew that. And, and so I, when I make observations like offsides in soccer is every time the offensive guy gets beats the defensive guy to the ball, I'm not just throwing that out yeah, there. No, I, I've true. watched it. I sat in a press box for several summers in a row and watched that happen. Well, one of the things that would often happen is this, just this really um, – did we decide whether twat waffle was okay or not? That, that is now. It is now? Okay. Yeah. This really like twat waffling level of clutch and grabbing – and then pointing and then get a yellow card on somebody. It just, it would, it, it would just make you, you would be, I would sit in the press box and watch this. And I'm like, I'm, I'm now hitting notes. I'm a soprano watching this. Okay. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it's feminizing me as I watch this. It's so beta. And this level of third of, of, of multi-level uh, marketing, uh, we're, we're at the ninth ring of hell on unwritten rules, and it goes into a second game. Mm-hmm. And you do this after the other team's manager actually uh, chastises his team for your silly, stupid code. It it just strikes me as highly beta. It, it strikes me as a soccer hijink is what it is. It, it feels un-American, frankly. You know? Like, to me, an unwritten rule of baseball back in the day when men were men and didn't want to be women was if you throw at our guy, we throw at your guy the next inning. Don't do that. Stuff like that. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? To me, that's like, that, that's, that's, you know, like laws of the jungle. Yeah. 
Well, um, if it's a three-hour pitch and you're up by a certain score in the game, uh, and it's a, from a position player, you should not I mean, do really mercy rules. Book of Leviticus. Yeah, here. yeah, mercy rule, mercy rules for for professionals. Really, that's where we're at now. One That's of the things, exactly one of the things I love yeah. to do on MLB The Show is I, I go out of my way to violate. If I get way ahead, I just keep stealing bases and stuff. And the announcer like, well, it kind of breaks then. Well, I don't care. I don't care. Your unwritten rules are dumb and beta. And I think that this is. Yeah, I, I don't. I used to have a pretty good sense of what the unwritten rules of baseball were, as much as somebody who had never played the game, like stuff like that. What you just, you know, no reason to to do this uh because we're just going to get you the next inning i i i i think we're at the point now though where the unwritten rules of baseball are whatever's kind of ticking me off tonight if i'm in a position of of power within the game whatever's ticking me off tonight if you violated that or if you ticked me off or annoyed me for any reason uh that's an uh, unwritten rule uh, of the game I, i think the whole thing not even the unwritten rule thing this whole story I mean, this has been going on all week, and now I'm perpetuating it by asking about it. It's just an example of the decline of masculinity. Yes, it is. The fact that we're even debating this and not just saying this whole thing is stupid and beneath me is another example of just the decline of masculinity. I completely agree. Let me me tell you how, how dudes react to that. First of all, you don't care that a guy hit a home run off a position player pitching on a 3-0 count. You're beyond insulted and embarrassed that your ass getting whooped that bad that you just gave up on tell- and for everybody to see on camera and put a position player in there to finish off the string. And you you come back the next day and you're like, we're putting that whooping back on them tomorrow. Instead, the added of, the added of, they, they hit a, dude, seriously, dude, dude. I smell the beta cologne on you. It's just, it's it's weak is what it is. Final question is, and for something completely different, is beauty objective? Which kind of beauty are we talking about? Beauty. Um... So I'm, I'm, I think it I'm can sorry. be. Bu- I'm sorry. You you asked a good clarifying question. Yep. Um, visual beauty. Visual beauty. And we're not talking necessarily of the feminine or masculine, if that's even possible. So it's just a coincidence right. you asked this the day that the same episode that Emerald Robinson was on earlier. <laughs> no. <laughs> you already had this question planned. I did. Okay. Um, I I I certainly think visual beauty is is subjective completely. Really. Yeah. I do. I think, I mean, I know, I know women and, and, and forget about what you know about him now and what happened with now Angelina Jolie. And before that, um, uh, what's her face from friends? Um, oh, uh, uh, Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Forget you didn't know that stuff. Cause I can see why, like, you know, my wife and I have always said like, like this exempt list of celebrities that we both agree all right, that person is so hot, it's okay for you to openly discuss it, okay? For member of the other sex, right? Sure. And so, like, um, Scarlett Johansson was on my list for several years. Then she started talking, and she just stopped being that hot to me and got removed from the Same list. Same thing with uh, okay? J-Law. Yeah, okay. So, 
I can see if you're a woman that says, after I saw the way Brad Pitt treated, you know, Jennifer Aniston and Angelina Jolie, I don't care. No, he's not hot to me. I, I get that opinion. But even before that, I knew women who thought Brad Pitt was not attractive. And I'm like, dude, man, I'm not even gay for the stay in a prison. That's a good looking dude, man. Okay. So that proved anecdotally to me after we just had this whole conversation about epistemology. Um, that, that, that proved anecdotally to me that visual beauty might be entirely subjective. I mean, there, if, if there are paintings of women that today we would consider these women to be unattractive, obese, um, with large foreheads, a little pleasantly plump that in other eras, because food was so scarce, that was actually considered attractive, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do think visual beauty... If, if no matter how hot somebody is, how beautiful a portrait is, you can find someone who legitimately just isn't attracted to it. So I, I think it's entirely visual. Visual so, beauty is entirely subjective. Set aside human beings, then okay. beauty outside of human beings is that objective? You mean like of a sunset? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Natural beauty is what we're talking about. Can mm-hmm. natural beauty be objective? I would agree that natural beauty can be objective. Yeah. Because it contains the handiwork of the, it, it's it's the Picasso of the mm-hmm. universe, basically. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I, I think to varying degrees, um, all be- visual beauty is objective because what you just described with uh, Jennifer Aniston opening her mouth, you know, and right. Je- Scarlett Johansson, by Scarlett the way. Johansson. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. And same thing with Jennifer Lawrence, you know, uh, they are um, objectively beautiful, but then you, they you kind of diminished once you <laughs> kind of heard what was coming out of their mouths. I follow this account. The reason why I asked this, I follow this account on Twitter called uh, architectural revival. I believe that's what it's called. And it shows a number of before and after pictures of these picturesque European cities, or sometimes they go to other parts of the world, these picturesque cities before with what they had building, you know, the classical architecture, and then what they were replaced with once basically the communists took over, and it was all brutalist. That's why I tend to believe that even within art and design, objective beauty is is basically the only thing out there. And elusive, yeah. Hmm. That's one of the more fascinating questions you've ever asked, actually. So thank you. That'll do it for today's program. We are back at it again tomorrow. Full house tomorrow for the Dace Group. Uh, Noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.